Matthew chapter 5. We'll be in verses 13 through 16. As you're turning there, one of the challenges for the church in the 21st century is, is relevance. It's purpose. Church is somewhat, when I, I use that word church, I mean church kind of broadly in that sense, not particularly our church, but the church at Broad here in America is battling a crisis of relevance and its purpose. Uh, for years we have, we have sought to bridge the gap, if you will, between the world and the church by, uh, by, by not preaching and teaching. And then we thought we could maybe gain some common ground, maybe on the family, life, how to manage finances. Well, we're now finding ourselves in a day where well, the church doesn't care what we think about those things, or the world doesn't care what we think about those things. And so, so we find ourselves kind of in no man's land. Where, where, where do we go? And really, that's been a challenge for the church, uh, trying to strike the balance of being in the world, but not of the world. How, how do we exert influence upon the world and society? Well, the church has sought to do this in various ways to make its mark known and felt in the world. Some have taken the path of gaining influence by becoming like the world. That's, that's one path, that's one temptation. To identify with the world in order to have a voice in the world. It's argued that if you're not speaking what the world wants to hear, well then you won't have a place at the table. Well this has been the course of what would, could be identified as modern-day liberalism, and I'm not talking about it in a political sense, but uh, in, a, in, a, in a Christianity spectrum, what is called liberalism. And particularly here in America since the 19th century and into the 20th, liberalism has infiltrated the church, but the way it came in might surprise you. It didn't come in to destroy the church. It actually came in to save the church, at least that was its thought particularly to make the church more palatable to the world, trying to maybe eliminate obstacles that might hinder people from coming into the church. And so this resulted in slowly, a, 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 if you want to call it a slippery slope, but kind of a, an erosion, if you will, that has led to the neglect and denial of the authority and truthfulness of all Scripture. Now, that's not where it began. It was little things that, oh, the culture's not going to like that. The world's not going to like that. How do we deal with it? Well, it's not what it says. Or that's not all true. And you begin to undermine the authority of Scripture. Then you had the issue of the curse of sin and judgment, which has all but been denied Biblical ethic for sexuality, the, the world, culture has changed in all those areas, and so let's go with the culture. Maybe, maybe we need to learn from the world in those, those things. The exclusivity of Christ for salvation. You know, to say that, that Jesus is the only way, people aren't going to come in. And so these things began to be removed. And though the heart behind it was not to destroy Christianity, the heart, I think by, by many, was to save Christianity, they thought. If we can kind of clean it up a bit, then we can save the church, but in reality, it's destroyed it. 
destroyed if you just look at much of the mainline denominations just destroyed those churches our denomination even split over some of these matters and if you were to follow that 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 break off you would see that same decline and it's all the same reasons maybe you've been following the events this week uh, um, with the United Methodist Church and, and their denominational meeting that occurred in St. Louis. And, and really what was on the table was whether the church was going to adopt its official policy and teaching to open up gay marriage and in ordain gay clergy. Now this was something that was already going on. And not meaning every church in this denomination does it, but it, it was common. There were bishops and certain sects of, of the denomination that were already practicing these things. However, this motion failed. Failed not because of the American side of this denomination. It failed because of the African side, the international component. This is one of the few denominations that actually uh, has opened up their, uh, their membership of the denomination globally. And actually backfired on them in, in what they thought. I want you to hear these words from Dr. Jerry Kula, an African delegate who was professor at the United Methodist University in Liberia. He said this in St. Louis last week. We Africans are not children in need of Western enlightenment when it comes to the church's sexual ethics. We do not need to hear progressive U.S. bishops lecture us about our need to grow up. We are grounded in God's word and the gracious and clear teachings of our church. On that, we will not yield. Amen. We will not take a road that leads us from the truth. We will take the road that leads us to making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. <laughs> I wasn't expecting all that, but... Uh, <laughs> praise God for clarity. Praise God for that. I don't have time. This isn't really my sermon. But the reason that vote came to the floor is because actually there's a change happening in the, even in that denomination. And they knew if we're going to win, if we're going to get these things to pass, we've got to do it now. Um, because, because liberalism's dying. It doesn't totally die. It just shifts and goes somewhere else. But in their case, and that's good news. But that's a danger. The church says we can embrace the world We'll, we'll reach it, but actually it just destroys you. But there's another side of this challenge, challenge of the church, and probably more of a challenge for us and kind of our leanings. There's the other spectrum, if you will. Church upholds the truth, but fails to uphold love. I mean, I even hear people say, oh, no, they're all about love. Well, is that really a bad thing? I don't, I don't want to be the people who aren't about love. But sometimes we, we pit those things together. But as Pastor Gary read from 1 John, that he who claims to know God but does not love does not truly know God. But yet that is a tendency of, uh, amongst another movement would be the opposite spectrum, the fundamentalist movement. This movement came about in some of these controversies, if you will, and, and has had its own trouble and, and waywardness. This group, while holding fast to the authority of Scripture and the truth of God's Word, began to take a different tax. We're not going to become like the world. We're going to draw a clear line. In fact, we're going to withdraw from it. We're going to separate from the world. We're going to uh, uh, withdraw from the mission field. And in fact, 
we're going to pull away, and the idea was we'll, we'll, we'll separate and the world will see their darkness and, and, and come to the light. But that didn't happen. By separating itself from society, it actually turned the mission field into the enemy. They fell into the danger of what Christ warns the church in Ephesus in the seven letters of the churches in Revelation, that you are, are in danger of neglecting your first love, which was love of God and love of neighbor. They not only hated the world, the sins of the world, but they began to hate the people in the world. The preaching moved from expounding the scripture and, and speaking the word of God and pressing it into people's hearts to bemoaning and decrying the values of the world. While bemoaning those things, particularly the sexual revolution, some cases, and we're beginning to see some of this surface, power-hungry and domineering men oppressed the members of their churches. Particularly women and children were vulnerable. And, and, and I'm not just talking about the things that have come out in, in recent with the Houston Chronicle stuff, although that can be some of that. There's some dark stories when you go and, and look into this. True racism was taught and practiced in some of these churches and institutions. And so while this movement claimed to have the truth, it demonstrated they actually didn't have it because it was not accompanied by love. And as we come to the feet of Jesus this morning, the Sermon of Mount, Jesus calls us to a better way. Heaven's way, if you will. He calls us to be salt of the earth, light of the world, to be like a city set on the hill for all to see. He calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. He calls us down a, a path that, that is not either one of those spectrums that I just gave you, and there's everything in between, if you will. He calls us to a higher calling, higher purpose, to follow him, and to love like he loved, and to speak like he spoke. Listen to the words of our Lord in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What Jesus puts before us is how we as the church, his kingdom people, will transform and impact the world. <clears throat> you heard it in that, in, in, in that bishop from Africa's statement, we're going to stand on the truth, we're going to make disciples and transform the world. This is, I don't know if he was thinking of this passage, but that's what I was thinking as I was studying this week. This is what we're to be. We're to be his people. And we see in these four verses that the church is to exert influence upon the world. But how do we do that? Well, I would argue from this text that we're to do so by being a distinct community, which testifies to the eternal life of the kingdom the loving fellowship of the kingdom, and the pure nature of the kingdom so that others may join us in glorifying our Father who is in heaven. 
That's what Jesus lays before us. And so the church is Christ's kingdom people. That's who we are. We're to exert influence. And, and this is actually just a, a concluding remark after the Beatitudes. And what he's saying here, if you were with us last week, is that these virtues that we know as the Beatitudes, these nine virtues, they are to be visible to the world. They are to show the world what my kingdom and my reign is like so that people may come in. And so the first thing that we want to testify to is the eternal life of the kingdom. Now this morning, I typically go verse by verse, and I am, but I think this passage requires us to kind of put it all together. All the illustrations are happening at once, if you will. And so I'm going to kind of bring that together in these themes, if you will, the eternal life of the kingdom. And the first illustration that Jesus uses to describe his people is he says, you are the salt of the earth. He uses the illustration of salt, kind of an interesting one. But much like today, the Old Testament, ancient world, salt was used as a preservative, a seasoning, if you will. But it actually represented more in the ancient world than in kind of what it does today. According to one Greco-Roman writer, next to the light of the sun, salt was the most important commodity. I'm trying to convince my, my daughters Salt on popcorn isn't the most important commodity. We must just sprinkle it just a little bit. No, no, don't just dump it. And, and we, we sometimes get the whole, you know, the little blue container that has it all, not in your, your to refill your salt saker. Well, it's like just dumping that whole thing. Well, it's an important commodity to us, but we, I don't think we would put it up to the sunlight of the earth. But in the Greco-Roman world, some believed it was that important. You might remember uh, the phrase, a person is not worth their salt. I don't hear that too often, but that was because people even were paid in salt. It was a high-value commodity. Salt was even brought to a meal, and it represented peace between two parties. Now we don't bring salt to a meal. You might put a, a pineapple on the table, and then we quickly eat it. But salt had a symbolic, symbolic role, if you will. It also represented in the Old Testament what was right and pure. In the Old Testament, God, God calls his covenant, that is his, his promises to his people, calls it a covenant of salt. I've made a covenant of salt with you. Interesting language. And this latter idea, I think, is what Jesus is alluding to and is most prominent in his illustration, though the other connotations are not absent. There's a reason God used a covenant of salt. That imagery of salt brought something to their mind. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he's saying that you represent what's lasting, what's pure, what's good. And you represent, get this church, God's promises to make the world right again. And that's what you represent. You are salt on his covenant, if you will. We're his new covenant people. We're his people who receive his promises. We're proof that God is keeping his promises. And we're to have an impact and testify to the eternal life, to the promises of God's kingdom in the world. 
In other words, the church as salt represents life. It represents eternal life. And unlike the things of this world and those in the world, the church is built upon the solid rock of Christ. And it will not be destroyed when the judgment comes. When God sets the world right, when His kingdom in its full manifestation comes, you know who's going to remain? The salt of the earth. We are going to remain. And so even now, we are to be a life-giving agent in the world. Scriptures also call the church the first fruits. You might be familiar with that, that language. Another agricultural term. We're the first fruits of the new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Whoever's in Christ is a, you might know it as new creature, but it's new creation. We're, 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 we are those first fruits. We're the beginning, if you will, of God's renewal and transformation of the world. He's starting with humanity. His most prized possession in His creation. He's starting in, in renovating hearts. But we're just the beginning. And so the church has a preserving, a life-giving influence on the world. And this is what Jesus gets with the other illustration of, of light and having our, our good works visible for all to see. That's all packaged in that salt analogy. Light, a city. He says it's that your good works may be seen by others. And so we live out, what are these good works? Well, it's the Beatitudes. It's those virtues that we embody. It, it, it's, it's living as the poor in spirit, as those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers. And those who are persecuted for Christ's sake. Those are the works that he's talking about. That these virtues may be so evident among you that they would see God. Do you see that? That's what he's talking about. You are those who are transformed to be like Christ. And so as you're transformed, the world may see you. So what does that look like? What does it mean then to be salt or light and have that preserving effect, that, that, that lasting effect on the creation? I think there's two things involved here at least. On the one hand, the church is one means of God's grace in holding back the complete moral decline of society. If, just think about it. If the church, the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ was absent, oh, there would be no moral compass. There'd be nothing holding it back. We are one means of God's grace in the world. I think that example of, of Jerry Kula, that African bishop, he was a means of God's grace of withholding something that by and large the American side of that church wanted to do. The church models what it looks like, brothers and sisters, to live in harmony and peace with one another. Even with those who persecute us. Throughout history, the church has, has sought to meet the needs of, of others through acts of benevolence, education, medical care, orphan care. And I would argue that's true throughout much of the, the world. The first world is, is not the majority world. The majority world, this is, this is what is going on. This is what the church in Africa is doing, the church in Haiti is doing. 
Added to that, the church influences as individual members serve in society. And, and just thinking about this room, all of us are, are sprinkled throughout the world, aren't we? Just like salt. We're sprinkled throughout the world. Individual members serve in society in law enforcement. I'm thinking just broadly here as judges, lawyers, teachers, nurses, coaches, employees, business owners, representatives on school boards, uh, being a good tenant in the apartment complex you live in or the house you rent, or maybe you're on the flip side. You're, you're a good landlord and you have influence on all those people. It's my prayer that we as a body of Christ gathered here at Oak Park would be this in southern Indiana, that we would view where God has laid us the neighborhood we're in, the place of work we're at, the school we attend, the activities that we're a part of, as we are citizens and, 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 and residents of, of this area, that we would see ourselves, as Jesus calls us, salt of the earth, light of the world. And he hasn't put us here by accident. Church is also salt as we play a prophetic role. As we as we play a witnessing role, a, a testifying role, a preaching role to share the good news of Jesus Christ. If we do all those other things, but fail to give clear testimony to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, then we aren't being salt and light. I didn't get to this last Sunday. But the Beatitudes culminate in being peacemakers and being persecuted. Where does that persecution come? It's not for being merciful. It's not for being meek. It's not for being poor in spirit. Jesus tells us at the end of verse 12, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All this culminates in Preaching Jesus as meek and merciful, as mourners, as those who hunger and thirst, as peacemakers. By and large, the world's going to leave you alone, ignore you. But it's that moment that you start being real salt and light. You start speaking the truth in the various spheres of, of influence. You start following Jesus and calling people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, that's when that last set of Beatitudes gets you. That's where it really starts to take its toll. In other words, as we live out the virtues of the kingdom, and we're also preaching the message of the kingdom, this is how our light shines. Our life and our message must be complementary. And that's really the tension, isn't it, that I was trying to highlight both sides of that spectrum end up abandoning the actual truth because their life doesn't match the message. And so when we function like this, living out the Beatitudes, those virtues, those kingdom virtues as we speak the truth, we'll also have an attractiveness to us. There's kind of a, a, an interesting phenomenon that's going to occur. You will be persecuted. You will be reviled. All, all sorts of evil might be spoken against you falsely on Jesus' account. But we are to rejoice that our great is our reward in heaven, and we are in line with the faithful who've gone before us. 
And so there's a side of which this world is not going to receive you as it didn't receive Jesus. But then there's another side of this that yet there will be a sweet attractiveness to this community. There's going to be something in the midst of that struggle in the way that you and I live out those virtues in the midst of trials. It's savory. It is sweet. It is attractive. And what is that? That's the loving fellowship of the kingdom. What we have going on right here, the world wants. We want to be people who invite others into this loving community. Coming back to the picture of salt, I already mentioned salt was symbolic of a loving relationship. I read of one place that even when two enemies might sit at the same table, if salt was there, you, you could not regard them as your enemy. We don't think of it that way. We don't give that symbolic weight to salt. But that's what it represents here. Salt was symbolic of a loving relationship, and it was brought to meals. And this is why, if you look in some of the sacrifices, part of the ceremony required that they would put salt on it. It wasn't because most of the people were going to be eating this. It's because it had symbolic value that God is no longer your enemy. That's where salt represented. And so it represented fellowship. The fellowship that God has entered with his people. The fellowship that we have entered with our Savior. And so this is the idea that Jesus is expressing when he also likens us to a city. And a lamp which is set up. And all those in the house. Those who live in this community. They can see. These are communities in harmony with one another. And so we are a community marked by meekness, purity and heart, love and peace. And we are to be the place where the world is to see how humanity is truly to live and treat one another. We are to be the place that the world sees how to treat children and protect them. We are to be the place by which women are treated with dignity and respect and honor. We are to be the place where the elderly and the widows are cared for and the orphans are brought in and every single person is seen to be of value because we understand they're made in the image of God. The world is to see the loving fellowship of the kingdom here. That's what it means to be salt, light in this city. The world is to see what it looks like to be a loving family as the family is broken in many cases. Or see how children are to honor their parents and how parents are to lovingly raise their children, how husbands are to treat their wives and how wives are to treat their husbands. And the world will see and experience how to love and serve as they watch us. Yesterday, many of you were here for our dear brother Don James's memorial service. And although funerals are are times of grieving, times of celebration too, especially for those like Don who trusted Christ. I often find great joy in the funerals of, 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 of the saints of Oak Park. It's because I get to see the saints of Oak Park loving in community. I've been to the funeral where someone's of, of that age and there's no one there. 
but we can have a memorial service and it looked like this yesterday. Yes, there were family, there were friends, but many of you were here. And the various age groups that were here. It testifies to the, to the love that we had for Dawn and, and we continue to have for, for Julie. It testifies to all those people who came who, who aren't members of this church, but even those who are not members of any church, who do not know the Lord, got to come in and, and see a church loving and hospitable and seeing, and they literally tasted it and got to experience for a, a moment the loving fellowship of God's kingdom. They got to see that. And so this is why we're likened to salt. We're a flavoring in the world. Whereby, when the world comes in contact with us at Oak Park, they taste and see that the Lord is good. We're like a wonderful, vibrant city, if you will. Or to think of it another way, we're an embassy in foreign territory. But this embassy welcomes all who seek shelter in it. And who all who want to pursue citizenship in a better country, a lasting city, and a kingdom that will not be shaken. The gates of this embassy are open 24-7. And you can flee and find refuge here. That's the picture that Jesus is painting for us. And thus we are to be welcoming to all, but what we welcome people into is the light of Christ. And a path to cleansing to what is pure. And so we see the pure nature of the kingdom here. Notice that Jesus says that this city is set upon a hill. That's interesting. Imagine being in a valley. We don't really see that here in our terrain. But maybe you've been someplace where you, you, you maybe see up on the hillside a, a city or a village lit up. Well, Jesus likens the church to a city set upon a hill. It's it's above everything else. It's distinct. It's high upon the hill. It's, it's the picture. It's, it's close to heaven, if you will. In the same way, we're described as light in contrast to the darkness. And so in Christ, brothers and sisters, if, if we're believers, since He is light, now we're in Him, He calls us the light of the world. Because He was the light who came into the world. Again, salt is a purifier. It can be used to cleanse wounds. We sometimes use it negatively. Man, you put salt on that wound. That's not the illustration that he's trying to give, but there is a sense in which it stings, right? What we're calling people to is to turn from their sin and come into the pure, right relationship of Christ. Forsake your brokenness and your pursuit of ways of doing that. Forsake your rebellion and turn to Christ. Come to the light. This is who the church is. We are the place by which we are calling people to be forgiven of their sins, but you must turn from your sins. Kingdom is pure in character because it's coming to remove the curse of sin. That's what God's kingdom is all about. Well, the curse of sin is no more. And it's for this reason that Jesus tells us, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. This is what happens when you flip on the light in a dark room. I usually go to bed before my wife does. Last night was no exception. She's already laughing. 
I go to bed, I shut the door, I turn off all the lights, I want it dark. I want to go to sleep, and I usually do. I go to sleep pretty quickly. This didn't happen last night, but it has happened in the past that maybe Sarah forgot that I was in there. Comes in, flips on the light, and immediately I go, oh, turn off the light. And I bury my head under the covers. Well, that's what we're going to be like to a, dark, a world and people who love the darkness. They hate the light. Turn it off. And as you, as they begin to know who you are and you've spoken of Christ before, it begin to notice that sometimes you're just like a, a light shining in their eyes. It's because you represent what's pure. You represent what's right. And so we aren't to be surprised when people utter all kinds of evil against us falsely because we are different. Jesus doesn't say become just like the world. We want to give the world a healthy, a right, a good alternative. We're the city up there, not down here. But we're not saying there's no path to up there. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Come to him. Come all who are weary and he will give you rest. But at the same time, we're going to call evil, evil. And we're going to live for what God truly says is good. And though this may feel like salt in the wound to the world, it's our prayer that some will see our good works and some will see the light of Christ and be drawn to him, right? They'll look up to that city and see its beauty and its goodness. They'll experience citizens of that, or residents of that city, and they say, oh, they are, they are always so pleasant. They have something about them. And this Jesus that they're constantly talking about, I've seen the goodness, and I've tasted. And just something about that seems right. And as the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord working in their hearts, He begins wooing them. And hopefully they'll want to join us. Their hearts will be softened, even as they may have reviled. This is exactly how it worked with Jesus. Think of the Roman soldier who participated in the crucifixion. And at the end of it all, he comes to the conclusion, surely this was the Son of God. And so, brothers and sisters... servant will be like his master. That's the path. And so as we walk down that road to bear our cross, endure sufferings for righteousness sake, there will be some who will say, surely they were the children of God. And they'll want to join us. We've been talking a lot lately about how we can be a more evangelistic church. I think there's a lot of good things going on in our church. I think we want to be that. And in many ways, we're, we're doing uh, evangelistic endeavors. We're, we're seeking to reach our community. But I, I think we can do better. I think uh, at a more individual level, being more strategic. And one of the ways that we've, we've tried to help us have a target, because if we aim for nothing, we'll, we'll hit it every time, a means by which we can have, hey, this is what we can do. 
we've been challenging you to have 100 unique gospel conversations, not each of you individually, but collectively. Could this church this year in 2019 have 100 unique gospel conversations? That means sharing the gospel with someone you've never shared the gospel with before. And so I want to challenge us. We've been talking a lot about this. I've been told that next Sunday is the Sunday. We'll have the means to kind of measure this and, 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 and see this outside in our hallway. But I want to challenge you that by the end of this month, you've identified someone you're going to be praying for and seeking opportunity to share the gospel with. Someone's name in particular. And in doing so, that this year we would go and we would pray together and we would seek to encourage one another and share about this in our community groups. And what would it truly be like if a hundred people who have yet to hear the gospel from us heard the gospel? That doesn't mean a hundred people will come to faith in Christ. It doesn't mean any of them will come to faith in Christ. But I'd like to think as I've seen the Lord work that some will. And we'll be light in that community. And we'll learn how to live out those virtues as we begin shining the light where darkness is. And so I want to challenge you and, and, and ask you, have you considered that person that you're praying for? That you're going to hope that this year you've got about nine, I guess you've got ten more months. And we're going to come alongside, we're going to continue to pray, encourage, equip, Ten months by, we're going to go share the gospel with these people. But there's another question I have for some who are here. Notice that Jesus says, if salt has lost its taste and its saltiness, it's good for nothing. Now, Jesus isn't making the point of whether salt can lose its saltiness. His point is, is that if it's not salty, then it's not salt. That's what he's saying. You're either light or you're in darkness. You're either a resident of that city or you're not. There's a clear line in the sand is what he's, he's getting at. So let me ask you, are you a part of this community? Are you a part of this community of faith? Have you trusted Christ? Have you repented of your sins and confessed him as Lord and identified with him through the waters of baptism? Because that's how you're made salt. That's how you're made light. That's how you become a resident of that city on a hill. And brothers and sisters, we've got news, good news for people. Good news that today there is an open path. It's open registration for citizenship in that, in that kingdom. That if you confess your brokenness, you confess your sin and rebellion to God and ask Him to forgive you of your sins on the basis of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, He says He'll cleanse you of all your sins. He'll give you a new robe, a new name, and a new identity in His kingdom. And if you're here today and you're saying, I've never, I've never thought of it that way. I've never made a conscious decision to trust Christ and to follow Him and ask Him to forgive me of my sins and to stop living for myself and to go follow Christ. If that's you today, don't leave here without becoming a citizen of the kingdom. 
the end of the service, I'm going to be out in the lobby. I'll be standing there. I want to talk to you. I don't care if there's a line of people talking. I know who I can say, move on. Okay? So if you get told, move on, it's because you can talk to me all the time. But if you want to trust Christ, come tell me. Or talk to that person you know. And have them bring you to me. You don't have to come to me. You can go to anybody in this church. They can share with you how to, how to join this, this kingdom, how to join this loving fellowship of a, of a community. And you can have eternal life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, what an awesome truth that you have sought to use your people to influence the world for your name. That even despite our brokenness, our weakness, our failures, nevertheless, we're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. This, this right here is, a, a, is, the, is the city set on the hill in southern Indiana. The embassy of heaven. And so, Lord, we pray. Lord, where we have failed you, where we have we have not let our, our speech be seasoned with grace and seasoned with salt. Where we have let our light be covered. Lord, may your word draw us to a better way. And that you would draw many in this city to your name. Many into this community. That you would stir the waters of baptism as people are putting off the old man and putting on the new man in Christ Jesus. Lord, please do that. Do that through us. And Lord, help us encourage and exhort one another to faithfulness, to live out your kingdom virtues and to speak the, the good news of your kingdom in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's stand. I made up time for last Sunday, so we'll get out here a little bit earlier. So let's stand. Pastor Chris, lead us in song.